One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition this Friday afternoon of the Work-Life Balance. So happy to be along with you. So thankful for you to be listening to us. Um, today, we're going to uh, just tackle a pretty standard topic, but it, you know, I, I talk about it in a, a typical non-standard way. Um, but uh, what I want to talk about today is customer service. It's it's something that we discuss in all businesses. All business at some point has a customer. Even if your business is a business, they're a customer. Um, and I, I think it's one of those topics that become almost an afterthought, but becomes one of the, the most important areas in order to improve your business and in, in, uh, area. Uh, before we get into that, just to recap the week, I was I was lucky. I almost had the entire week home, which was crazy. Um, but uh, was was in town uh, except for Monday, where I went and met with a, a client in Nashville. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up. I've actually launched three new initiatives. Um, one is around uh, the transformation of the city of Birmingham that I've talked about. One is around an uh, organization called MSRF, which uh, more will be coming out, uh, and I'll have the founders on the show with me uh, shortly. Uh, and then I've been really into what's known as RPA. It's a robotic process awesome automation. And that's just an industry I think is um, ready to boom here. United States has been a little bit slow to to adopt this technology. And quite frankly, it's not not their fault. Uh, you know, we there's been so many things that have promised just great change and great profitability and, and never becomes realized, you know, going all the way back to you know, losing trust in IT a little bit of, of uh, year 2000. And as I bring that up, by the way, uh, I, I got to give a shout out to my man, uh, Colin Ellis. I heard him on stage uh, recently and it, he, he gave me the funniest take I've ever heard on the year 2000 crisis. So as a project manager and as a consultant, you know, I was around for, for year 2000 and all the craze and hype and all that stuff. And uh, most people think of it as a, as a non-event. Most people say, well, you know, year 2000 came and went, nothing really happened. And uh, Colin Ellis, he goes, it's because of me. It's because he saved the world. He, we were, All of us project managers doing these year 2000 projects, um, we prevented the disaster. So, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> I found that tremendously funny. Uh, the way that he did that, I love uh, watching him on stage. But, you know, there was a, there's a decline, um, you know, year 2000, you had the dot-com bubble burst. You've had, you know, ITIL come through. Uh, now it's agile and all these things are promising great rewards. And so this new technology around uh, remote, remote or robotic process automation comes through. Um, and the immediate thing that I see is, is not only in project management and customer service, and that's what led me to today's topic. So I want to start with the story. One of the things that's been fascinating to me as I talk to the you know, some phenomenal leaders and people that have made businesses, things that tend to have come naturally to us are, are actually time-tested principles. And then when we find out about them later, we go, okay, well, that was why that was successful. But some of us and a lot of us you know, fall into these routines or these tactics based on personal experience. And so my experience with customer service goes all the way back you know, to Disney. I danced on Cinderella's Castle when I was 11. Um, got to work at Disney in the MGM Studios, uh, work with the Mickey Mouse Club. So we were always, you know, catering to fans. And so my first real interaction was those of fans. And uh, 
when uh, when the book came out, you know, raving fans, I I could immediately associate to that book when it came to to customer service. So I've documented my my journey, uh, you know, quite a bit on the show over the last four years. But you know, my father passed away. I I um, blew town and I wound up uh, in restaurants. I was first waiting tables and then I moved up to bartending and managing. So as I was waiting tables, um, I, I got the opportunity to do that in Orlando as well. Uh, and we got away with everything. People were on vacation. Uh, they wanted to have a good time. So we could be a little crazy. We play loud music and yell at, you know, at each other across the way. But one of the things that started to hit me was as a, as a server, somebody who waits tables, you know, most servers expect 15%. Most of us think 15% is, is the norm, but you know, you're being measured in your customer service of that customer based on every other server they've ever had. So if you think about it, you could probably go back into a, a restaurant experience or a person that you dealt with. Um, and, and it was super memorable and you probably tip that person a little bit more than you normally tip. They just went out of the, they did something. And so I started to think about that as a server and started saying, what could I do that was unique? What, I, what could I do to go over the top and, and still make it just part of my stuff? And what I did, uh, again, as an homage to my father, um, he had his favorite server and his favorite server never wrote anything down. He, he, he memorized all the, the orders and that always impressed my father. And so early on as a server, that's what I did. I, I made sure that I listened to the customer. I, I memorized what what they wanted, then I'd go back and, and put the order in. And, and that always seemed to, to impress them. But that led me on this theory of just, you know, exceeding. It's, it's not just how do I make this uh, interaction at this point as, as positive as possible, but how do I try to make it one of the most memorable they've ever had? And, and it's that attitude that kind of um, does things. And when I say that, you know, we had fun, um, we used to invent uh, different versions of a birthday song and, you know, the, the silly songs at restaurants, you get kids come in and they, you know, they shout really loud, you know, oh, it's somebody's birthday. We're going to, it's time. Right, right, one, two, three. And then they sing some certain birthday song. Um, well, Kevin, a, a friend of mine there and I started to make up variations. So we started to do backwards version and uh, pyramid version and the apathetic version, which was my favorite. Um, but when people go, oh yeah, you're going to sing it backwards. We say, sure. Then we just turn around backwards and sing the song, right? It's that one little unexpected twist that we, we built a human pyramid and sang the song. My favorite was the apathetic version though. If I could ever talk anybody into that, cause you get really, really excited. You go, all right, everybody's your birthday ready. We're going to say one, two, three. And then the apathetic version is we just go, eh, and walk away. <laughs> we never sing the song. Hilarious. It, it, it played well, especially when you had a bunch of people doing it. And then we'd come back and sing the song to whomever. But, um, but those are the little things that 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 tend to to stick out. Um, and so as I started to progress in my career, I got into management. Realized uh, that, that I wasn't ready to be a restaurant manager. Uh, and so then I went to Chili's, and I became what was known as an on the road trainer. And so now I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. Is one of my favorite memories, uh, truly, of customer service. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. And I just gave this speech to a bunch of servers and tell them, you know, you got to make sure you step up. You got to be a memorable person. You got to be somebody that that um, they'll always remember. And it's literally the next night. And uh, th this guy comes by and he goes, oh, my God, Remo, which was my nickname growing up. I've named my son that and why I go by Rick. But anybody who knew me from my past called me Remo. And uh, 
he said, Oh my God, Remo, what, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm sorry. Have we met? And he goes, Oh, you used to be at the Bennigan's in Orlando. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, that's nice. How do you remember? He goes, dude, we used to wait for your section. He goes, my girls loved you. My little girls just thought you were hilarious. You always really took good care of them and really allowed my wife and I to eat um, the way that you entertained them. So we, we've just never forgotten you. What are you doing in Greenville, South Carolina? Well, the worst part about that story, though, was all the servers that I just trained uh, thought I had paid the guy to do that. So it kind of tempered that away. I, I, but uh, I never forgot that. I never forgot that feeling that it, it literally had been three years, um, at least at least three years since I had been at that Bennigan's in Orlando. For So for someone to remember my name and somebody to remember the experience, and of course, he was like, well, how long are you in town? I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm in town for a couple of weeks to, to open this one up. And he brought his girls in, brought his family in. They came three or four times while I was there. It was super, super sweet. But what I really learned from all of that and what I've taken with me into the business world is it's, it's not customer service. In fact, I don't even like that term. It's how do we serve our customer, right? And, and again, it's just a shift of words. Um, but that shift of words is just as important to me as the whole connotation. Right? You've heard me talk about connotation on the show if you're a longtime listener. If not, you can go back and, and, and listen. But connotation talks about just changing one word or changing a phrase slightly so that it, it uh, impacts or brings a, a different feeling to it. So, for instance, you know, I hear people say all the time, I have to go to work. Or, I have to go to this meeting. Right? And from a connotation perspective, if you can change that word from have to get, it, it takes on a totally different meaning, right? It, I get to go to work. I have the opportunity to go to work. I'm blessed that I have a job. Even though I may not like the job, I'm blessed to have a job. I get to go to this meeting. I don't have to go to the meeting. I get to go. And when you tell yourself that and you change the connotation, that it means something completely different. It means something that that can drive... Um, your attitude, it can drive the, the way you think about it. But, you know, oh, my God, I got to go to work. Oh, my God, I got to go to this meeting. You know, I got to go. I have to go. Or I get to go. It's a whole total different uh, meaning when you take it about that. So when, when I start to look at customer service, customer service, most people look at it as a process or a task. We have to perform customer service. We, we have, or do we get the opportunity to serve the customer. And if we get the opportunity to serve the customer, then how do we make ourselves the most memorable to them? How do we, how do we, and, and you know, people think, oh, we can give gifts or we can, you know, we can do all this stuff. And, and quite frankly, there, there, there's a way in which you can, can completely persuade someone um, to know that, that, that you're memorable, but you have to do something that's unexpected. It's got to be unique and it's got to be authentic. It's got to be sincere. And so, for instance, there was a study done. Dr. Cialdini did this. Um, there was a study done in servers and waiting tables. And they just they baseline the study by just, you know, having a server drop the check and walk away. You know, say, thank you very much. You know, here's your check. And they measured the percentage of tips. They took that as a baseline. Then what they did is they gave one mint. They gave one mint on the, on the tray. And uh, basically, again, Saw, saw tips raise like a, a certain amount of percentage. I don't remember the numbers. Um, they gave two mints and they saw it raise, you know, a little bit more as well. But when they did what they called the one-on-one, -on -one, uh, it was a, it was like a 
difference. It was, it was huge percentage. And again, don't quote me on that number, but it's a big percentage. So the one and one went this way. They, they left one mint on the, the tray and then they step away and they come back and they go, listen, you guys were, were phenomenal. You're a really sweet table. I certainly appreciate you. Not kind of supposed to do this, but here's another mint. So it was the same amount of mints, right? It was, it was two, but when it was unexpected, it was sincere. Uh, and, and it was, you know, something that made them feel special. You saw a huge rise in tips. Now, first of all, I wish I had known about that study when I was waiting tables. It's far too late for me to deal with that. But at the same time, it proves the point that it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be outlandish. It just has to be unexpected and and authentic and something that you would do within uh, your normal course of work. So we're going to take a break right here. We're going to come back and continue this customer service. When we come back, I'm going to talk about kind of customer service that went wrong, what that hap- what happens to that, and uh, then we'll get into some tips and tricks beyond that. So hope you hang around with us. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance, talking about customer service this afternoon. And uh, I shared with you some of my background at restaurant, but uh, I had a couple of stories you know, I always like to try to to present both sides and a couple of stories that were that were personal to me, um, and how I felt as a consumer, how I felt a, a, as a brand person. And you know, I'm I'm a very 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 brand loyal person. Uh, you know, I fly one airline, only step outside of that if if there's no other choice. I only stay in one brand of hotels. Um, you know, I, it's just I'm a very very brand loyal person. I believe in in rewards and reward points and status with the brand, and so. Uh, I also am very brand loyal in general with my my cars, and uh, I had uh, just gotten into consulting. This is like two thousand, probably two two thousand three. That um, oh, actually, yeah, it was two thousand. It was two thousand two. 
um, I bought one of the uh, X-Type Jaguars. It, it was, you know, the smaller version, smaller brand, but I fell in love with that car. It's one of the best cars I ever owned. And uh, it got clipped in an accident and they totaled it. And I, I had already paid it off and had all this aftermarket stuff. In it, and I, I begged them to let me fix it. And they wouldn't. So I went down to Jaguar and just bought the latest, you know, car and put all the options in it. And, uh, and that's, that's what I wanted. So I ended up buying this floor model and, uh, right after the purchase, we go, they go to turn it on to clean it up and, and the battery, it won't start. And they said, you know, it's no problem. And I, I didn't think it was a big deal. They said, you know, this is the floor model. People play with it. They leave the radio on all this little stuff. And I was like, that's fine. So they went and took it back, put a brand new battery in, delivered my car and I, I drove it off a lot. Um, well, uh, I was coming back, I think, from a trip. I had six hours to do a turn, meaning I, I landed and within six hours had to be back at the airport. And I go to open up the car and nothing will work. The, the trunk won't open, doors won't unlock, nothing will happen. So again, battery was dead. So I ended up having to, to take a cab home, come back, had to have them come you know, tow the car from uh, the airport and, and fix it. And they said, oh, there's just you know something with the battery. And I was like, okay. Well, after like six times of, of this this battery issue with the car i went to jaguar and i said look it's it, it's something's wrong with the car it's a bad car it's not a big deal i'm brand loyal just just give me another one right i don't care um and so they opened up a case and i was working with a caseworker and they said no it's it's not a lemon i was like how do you <laughs> how do you figure that right <laughs> i've had seven times the same thing happen i haven't even owned the car for a year you know this this is an issue um and they said nope sorry so uh I went to a lawyer. The lawyer came in and told me, "Hey, um, it's got a it's got a break again. They've got to fix it and then break again, and then you have a case." And I was like, "Oh, this is you know ridiculous." But of course, you know it it uh, it breaks again. And I happened to tweet at the time just something you know out of frustration. I was just like, "Yeah, I'm so frustrated that this car keeps breaking down." And I put uh, at uh, Jaguar USA and then hashtag Jaguar socks, which I thought was funny, um, and. Uh, uh, I get a phone call from the caseworker and I said, uh, why, why are you calling? And she said, well, you know, there, there, there's a new development or something like that. I said, yeah, but you've closed the case. She goes, yeah, but when you tweet, it, it comes across my desk. And I was like, oh, oh, so I'm so the wrong person to give that information to. So I started to uh, set up an auto tweet service that went and found every negative article I could find about Jaguar. And just started inundating Twitter with it, and uh, had some of my famous friends uh, who've been on the show, you know, tweet questions about it, and I had them call it a lemon. I didn't use the word, so you, you know, I just I basically started a campaign uh, against Jaguar. Within two weeks, they called me and uh, said, "How do you make it stop?" <laughs> and I said, "You could just give me another car." Right, that's all I asked for in the first place. Um, and they were like, well, we can't find another car like that. And I was like, that's crazy that I, I've never heard anything like it, but, uh, we ended up taking out a cash settlement. I tweeted out at that time, uh, who wants my business and Audi stepped up and, and I went and, and bought an Audi. Uh, point of the story is though, is they could have just fixed the car. They could, they, they, they could have got another car, got something similar, gave me another car. And I would have bought, uh, another Jaguar. I, I would have stayed loyal to the brand and, and I probably, you know, Lord willing, have a good eight to 10 cars in me still. Um, you know, I, I, I hope to, you know, just stay with that. 
So that's a lot of revenue potentially. Not only that, but all the negative publicity I threw out, um, I really probably raised some doubts in some others who were trying to build, you know, trying to buy a Jaguar if they came across those tweets or saw some of the people who were tweeting some of the negative information. And I just, I never understood that. I never understood um, why they just simply wouldn't fix it. And, and as you look at some of the decisions, especially in car, you know, you, you've had Toyota, you've had VW, you've had some of these really, really big um, issues pop up where they could have just fixed the issue. And yeah, it would have been expensive, but then they rolled the dice. But now they've hurt the customer brand, they've hurt the consumer, they've hurt their their quality ratings, uh, and probably made some people who would have stayed with them for life never buy another car like that again. And so it's interesting the power we have as consumers now um, in customer service and in really in company reputation. If it wasn't for Twitter, I would have just I'd had to drive a broken car and then get out of it, be a negative equity or something of that sort. But because of Twitter, right, because of social media and everybody wanting to protect their brand, uh, you have the opportunity then to, to take matters in your own hands. I had a similar story um, with T-Mobile where um, there, was a, there was an identity theft. Somebody had, had broke into a doctor's office and stole a bunch of charts, and, and my chart, my wife's chart happened to be one of those, um, and they, they did all kinds of stuff from a credit perspective. But one of the things they did was open up a ton of, of T-Mobile accounts. And um, so they had called me and, and said, you know, you're way overdue on T-Mobile. We're, we're going to collect on you. And I was like, I've never had a T-Mobile phone. So I, it's definitely not mine. What they did then, the, the next two steps were just fascinating to me. Um, first, they then called my wife and threatened her and said that, you know, police and stuff were on the way. Well, my wife didn't really know if we had an account with T-Mobile or not and thought she was doing what was right. And, and so she paid them. And so not only were we defrauded, we ended up having to pay for the fraud. So when, when I found that out, um, everybody drugged their feet. Nobody, nobody wanted to help me. Nobody, you know, everybody was saying, well, you know, it's this. So I had to do all kinds of stuff. Well, then they wanted me to prove that it wasn't me that, that had opened up these accounts. So I went and had to get a police report and uh, got the guy who was, who was leading the, the, uh, the charge of this, of this particular crime. Got all kinds of stuff, sent that into them. Um, then they wanted like, you know, three forms of ID. And um, finally, out of frustration, I tweeted out, I, I just said, why does it take me 10 times as long to prove who I am uh, versus how easily they were defrauded by somebody I'm not? Right. It, it, so, so somebody walked in and opened up all these accounts under my name and they required no proof. They required no issue uh, of, of, um, who, you know, of, of identity. Uh, however, to prove that it wasn't me, I had to do 10 times the work. Literally within a day, uh, it got cleared up uh, because I went public with it, because I went to Twitter. Now, I'm not suggesting everybody go to Twitter wars, but, but at the same time, um, I can't tell you how many times from a customer perspective that I've sat back and felt helpless uh, on a situation that I knew I was right uh, and I knew what they were doing was, was incorrect. Um, but now you've got this social media channel in this way to put leverage um, onto, you know, onto organizations. And so, again, these organizations weren't looking at, at how to serve me. They were following processes. They were following protocol. I don't fault the employees, right? If I go back to the Jaguar story, I don't fault that caseworker by any means. 
she wrote down all the information. She presented it to somebody and somebody said no. Right. And, and that was pretty much her, um, her involvement. So I don't fault her at all, but I certainly fault the company of Jaguar and we'll, we'll never step into, to a Jaguar car again. And so what is the, what is not only that, but let's just let, and this is just hitting me and I apologize for this, but right. This, this podcast gets downloaded, you know, in 91 countries. And so as I tell a negative story about Jaguar, because it's a negative experience that I had, you know, one of you might be out there considering getting this car, maybe would, would think differently because of it. So you don't ever understand the impact somebody has. Um, a story where that was going a, a different way, but but worked out for us is I remember uh, we had uh, uh, I had sold some software to a company and um, there was a, an integration and, and uh, they bought it solely because of this integration to another tool. Well, the people from that other tool changed the integration and um, or, or changed the APIs in which we call it and, and had kind of broken up with with the other company. So essentially, though, I have a client who bought a product solely to do one thing with it. And now that one thing doesn't work. And so uh, they would call me and I was like, I'll do everything I can. Let me see what I can do. So I would call the software company and they're like, well, it's not our fault. And they would just drag their feet, drag their feet, drag their feet. I was like, guys, we've got to fix this. And finally, I went all the way up to the to the top guy and I said, look, I said, there's 300 licenses of the software. That's 300 people using that. That's 300 opportunities in which people are, are getting upset because the software is not working. And I said, and the likelihood of some of those people leaving and going into another company is large. And so now if we don't do the right thing, those 300 people may become decision makers, may have influence over the decision, or at least can make it tougher in a sale to go, yeah, I used that software and it broke and it, it never worked. I said, we got to do right by this customer. I don't care what the cost is. We got to do right by them solely to fix the perception uh, of the way we look right now that you know something happened that was outside of our control. So you guys are just left to the wolves. That, that's not how things work. So if we have the opportunity to, to sit and, and really, you know, have, if it's in our power to fix it, then we need to fix it because it's 300 opportunities to influence a potential sale later down the road. And that's, that was the argument that finally got them to do something and we fixed the issue and they were happy. But, the, but the point being is I, I don't understand companies that don't see that bigger picture, right? They just see it as one car, one person, or one phone account. But you never understand and you never realize the influence that that other person may have. You know, I would probably say 10 to 15% of my business um, in the last three, four years has come from somebody who was at another client who, who used us and they brought us to their new organization. That to me is, is why you serve a customer. It's not customer service. It, uh, half the people, even in projects that went wrong, uh, there was a, 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 a tweet that we just sent out that said, I don't measure project success and failure by the numbers of success and failure. I, I judge it based on how people feel that they were served in the relationships that continue. And, and, and that's been ingrained in me all the way back to waiting tables. If, if, if you take care of the customer and you think about how do I serve them? So you know, I almost want to see the, the department change from customer service to service of the customer. I think, again, 
just from a connotation. What, what are you here to do? You know, what do you do for a living? Well, I do customer service. Well, that's, that's not even, what do you do for a living? I serve the customer. I'm here to serve. I'm in a servant leadership and I want to do everything possible to make them feel positive about what it is that we're doing. So not only do I get repeat business, but I get future referral business. If you read uh, Dr. Cialdini's Power of Persuasion, one of the biggest persuaders, especially now in purchasing a product is social proof. That's your friends, that's your people talking. I, I just had a wonderful uh, 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 interview um, it, it, with this guy who's a wealth management um, expert. And what he decided to do was, was throw big events. But in these events, instead of just inviting his customers, he allowed his customers to bring two or three of their friends. Well, that's brilliant because what you're doing is not only are you serving your customer, but you're now building a, an avenue of social proof. And, and you don't even need to sell at that event. You just need a service at that event because then what happens is they'll start coming up to you and say, you know, how do you know so-and-so? Oh, well, I use his wealth management services. Really? How, how's it doing? You know, they will then sell your service for them. You're just creating the opportunity. So you don't have to sell the room even. You just need to have to put on a good event that shows that you care about your current clients and more will follow. I, I asked him why that's been so effective. And he said, our biggest thing against sales is apathy more than anything. It's, you know, 10% of people are looking to, to, to get a wealth management. 10% of the people are unhappy with their current one and are looking. The other 80% just, they, they don't care at that point. They're, and it's those 80% that's the opportunity to grow your business. All right, so we're going to take a break right here. We'll come back and start talking about some of the top tips of, of customer service that, that are out there and uh, how you can start to serve the customer instead of doing customer service. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance. 
And we're back to the third segment of Work-Life Balance. Uh, we're talking about customer service, or really, how do you serve your customer? Um, and, you know, as I do research you know, for the show, as I usually do, I came across a, 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 great, a great quote um, from Dennis Snow. And he's, you know, widely known as, as a guru in, in this industry. But he talks about how to, to make sure that you're focusing on the experience. You're focusing on a great experience for your customers. And he says, those employees who focus on creating great experiences make customers feel welcome and valued. Those who focus merely on completing tasks make customers feel processed and tolerated. And if you think about it, most of the things set up in, in, in one of these departments is purely transactional. Um, and, and other than maybe some words here, words there, um, it's it they it becomes cookie cutter and so you feel processed and you feel tolerated versus really focusing on the experience itself and so here's some tips on to how to improve that whole experience um, the first thing really is to is to start thinking about the beginning and the ending of the the customer interaction it, it you know if you talk to to great comedians and and you look at how even the way I structure my speeches, I, I have things that I know are going to work really really well, and those are my, I call it bookending. I bookend those, and then there's new material that I want to try. I'll put it in the middle, and uh, sometimes that new material works, and it's something I put into my repertoire, and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, but but because I bookend it, um, I'm creating a, a, an experience they'll remember because they remember how I started and they remember how I end. And sometimes they remember what's in the middle, but really making sure that you obsess over the beginning and the ending of the customer interaction is, is really important. I mean, that's how human memory works. Um, so you want to make sure that, um, you know, in the interaction that they're super pleasant in the beginning and, and let's, let's stop with the, the ending of the surveys. I mean, the sur who, who I'm so surveyed to death. Um, and the surveys don't really tell us much other than, you know, some sample uh, completion metrics. Uh, but uh, I'd rather just, you know, actually, the way I'd like to see it now is if I, I see I saw this at uh, at the restrooms in, in, in Atlanta. Um, but they had a little touch screen as you left the restroom and it just said, you know, how do you feel about the cleanliness? And it had, you know, a smiley face and, and a medium face and a, and a frowny face and you just kind of hit the button as you walk by to me you know we need to have you know press one if you if you were you know you felt we we serviced you in in, in a way that and even at how you ask the question you know hit one if, if you felt like this was a personal experience uh hit two if you if you felt like it was just transactional and just something silly like that but i when i'm calling a company i'm busy and so i don't want to first hit there and go you know, hear the prompt in the beginning that says, well, at the end, would you mind taking a short survey? Just too quite. No, yeah, I might. I, I don't have time for this. So if it was something of, you know, at the end, hit one, if it was a great experience, hit two, if it wasn't, and at least you can gather some better data, but let's stop the the standard survey language and that kind of stuff. Make sure that the beginning and the end was really, really good, really solid, and that the middle was the transactional part. So that's that's a huge tip. Um, in increasing that experience. Um, you want to make sure uh, that we kind of offload or, or stop the transactional uh, style of, of customer service, right? So customers, you know, they appreciate it when things are streamlined or, you know, that 
everybody has kind of this fear, this cringe, you know, that, that you have to call a customer service department. You don't know if you're going to get shipped overseas. You don't know if it's going to be tons of, of voice prompts, all that other stuff. And nothing frustrates me more than being prompted. So you get nine prompts, you know, what are you calling about? Or even worse, the one that, that hears you, you know, the one that interprets your voice and then leads you astray. Like, I don't understand. Please say. And then it, then you have to wait for them to say the nine instructions, right? It, it's bothersome. Um, but uh, if you can streamline it or automate that, uh, you know, I called a, a bank recently. And so they asked me why I was calling. They asked me for my account number. They asked me for my social number. They asked me for my PIN number. And then they put me on hold for 10 minutes. And then the first thing that happened when the customer service agent answered was, ask me why I was calling, ask me for the, the number. And, and again, it's not the customer service agent's fault. What that meant and what that was telling me as a technology person is that their IVR, their, their uh, integrated voice responder in, in, in the menu that was driven wasn't feeding to the system to give the relevant information to the customer service agent. I'd rather them, if I'm going to have to do all that, they go, can you give me your pin just to validate it's you and let's move forward, right? But I've already put all that information in. I've already authenticated my account. Um, so let's let's move forward. So customers appreciate it when you streamline or you automate, you know, transactional details, the things that machines can do as well or better than humans. That's why I'm so excited about uh, robotic process automation is because it does that. It it opens up the accounts. It goes and puts stuff in. It, it basically does all the mundane work um, that you're generally sitting on hold for the agent to do, right? So, you know, say, uh, you know, you're trying to call in to increase your credit limit and they go, well, you know, what do you want to... Uh, increase it too. Well, then they say, okay, well, please hold. And you're on hold for like three minutes because they got to open up nine applications, transfer information around, go get a decision, then come back and do it. Well, that's where machine learning and, and that kind of stuff, it's not to offload um, uh, jobs. It's really to to turn a, a $50,000 a year customer service rep to an $80,000 a year customer service rep because of the information that we're making available. But we have to be intelligent in how we do that. Right? Because certain times of, of transactional offloading, like um, if, if you've got to check in at a kiosk or um, you've, you know, it's taking the, taking the human interaction completely away, um, that could be off-brand for what you're trying to accomplish. So what you want to do is focus on what we really want the customer to experience and what can we automate in, in, in you know, the background just to make us better, make us you know, look better. So another tip, though, is don't just be good, be, be memorably good. Be like If you don't create a memorable experience for your customers, then the, the story doesn't spread. You don't get that social proof that we were talking about. And, and customer service really is uh, the new marketing, or at least is a uh, branding of marketing um, that uh, is incredibly powerful, um, that makes, makes you know, whatever the market is, um, resonate by matching it. And uh, so, for instance, uh, there, there's a, a, a regional bank here, and, and I utilize them. And I think I've actually said this at one point or another, but um, their, their slogan is the relationship people. We're the relationship people. Um, but when I call in and I'm forced to do, to do everything digitally without a relationship, or um, one of their latest moves is removing tellers from the branch and putting automated tellers in, while that's a cost savings, that's completely against 
the relationship people, right? That you're no longer the relationship people. You're the technology people. So don't don't do things, especially in your customer service or service of the customer, that go against what it is that you're trying to brand, right? So don't only be nice, but be nice in in, in a, a memorable way, right? Be authentically nice. Um, I mean. Make sure that you're an extension of the market, an extension of the values that the organization, you know, claims to have. But the biggest tip that I, I can give you guys is learn to apologize. I mean, stuff's going to go wrong. That's why we have service to the customer in the first place. Things are going to upset the customer. Things are going to be make, make sure that even when things are right and the customer perceives it to be wrong, it's the same thing. Be ready to be empathetic. Be ready to understand. Be ready. But, you know, that's also become robotic. So, you know, it's become a knee-jerk reaction that people script it. So, for instance, I'll call in um, and and describe a problem to a technology company, and they'll go, um, we're absolutely uh, here to solve that problem for you. And that's a line, though. Um, Yes, I can solve that for you. I'm here to solve the problem. Then I get transferred four different times, and then you know, disconnected before the, the, uh, the problem is resolved or whatever. Um, make sure that like nothing's worse than, uh, I, I can remember one experience where I called back in. So I got to, I was on hold for like 15 minutes, got disconnected, had to call back in and that happens. But when I got the person on the line, I said, look, I'm a little frustrated. I've been through all this already. You know, I've already blown 15 minutes. Uh, and they're like, well, I didn't hang up on you. And I was like, yeah, I'm not saying that you did. I'm not saying that that was you personally that hit the hit the button. But you can at least be empathetic that I don't want to go through all this stuff again. I just need to get my issue resolved, right? It, it, it turns into a negative for the organization. So make sure that that we at least empathize. Now, if you're an organization setting this up, please make sure your customer service team has the right tools to serve the customer. I mean, there's just no substitute at all for knowing your customers. And the right support tools can make it easy. I mean, you'd be surprised at the number of meaningful conversations you can have when you don't have to stumble around in the dark. I mean, it's frustrating to be on the receiving end of support when when they they can't find it or they can't get into the system or they, fa- they falsely believe something was happening. Um, and so why kind of pester them uh, when you can, delight them. I mean, you risk ruining a first impression when you treat uh, customers like, you know, when they call in, they go, can I have your personal information, account information? Uh, You know, they get into silly stuff, but uh, you know, you can avoid that through understanding the, you know, built-in customer profiles, delivering the right information to the agent at the right time so that they don't have to ask a bunch of questions. Um, There's a reason why people like to use chat bots and, uh, email to instead of calling in. So those are some ideas. We'll we'll give a couple more when we wrap up in our final segment here. But we'll take our final break for this Friday afternoon. You're listening to the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for our final uh, segment here of this Friday afternoon on the Work-Life Balance, talking about serving the customer. And uh, so I wanted to wrap up with a couple of tips, a couple of quotes from John and, and talk about what I think is the, the one of the most important or overlooked uh, areas of training uh, for customer service. You know, when someone gets hired as a customer service agent, um, you know, they teach them how to you know, navigate the systems, log in, read you know, information, that kind of stuff. They give you the scripts and things they want to know, uh, but they don't teach like true and authentic communication skills. Um, and so two of the two of the quotes, one is, uh, you know, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And so showing, you know, authenticity and the fact that you really care that they're your customer um, could go a long way in building that memorable experience that we're talking about. Um, the second is that most people who are calling in have an issue. That's why they're calling. And uh, anytime an issue or a, a problem is presented, um, you have you have two areas. You can correct it or you can connect with the person, right? So anytime somebody, even as a manager, when you have a team member do something wrong, it's your opportunity where you could correct the behavior or you can connect with the person and, and show them the why of the behavior. And so one of the biggest tips is to make sure that we're practicing clear communication with customers. I mean... It, there are a few positions out there, um, to me, executives and your, your service to the customer is where this applies the most, right? Clarity and communication is paramount because it affects everything that's happening. And the way you style your communication is important, right? Tone affects communication. You don't want to use passive aggressive uh, language. Like when somebody's saying something is completely wrong, you don't just go, well, actually, right? I mean, you, you want to stay away from passive aggressive language. Um, or you don't want to use, you know, terms. You know, I, I've said robotic process automation, but that's RPA. Uh, if I just started throwing out RPA, 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 it, 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 the slang, it, it's technical jargon. Um, 
and so and I'm so tired at this point too, because everybody's doing it the same way. Um, how many times have you heard your calls important to us? Please wait. A customer agent will be on the line shortly. Your average time is 31 minutes. Really? Were, were that important to you that we can't staff up or find a way to, to knock through the queue, right? It, it's, it's, it's almost passe. It's overused. Nobody cares about that anymore. Um, and so when you, you know, you hear your call is very important to us. It, does anybody believe that at this point? And it's, it, I mean, it's just a, it's a trite platitude that people are just sick of hearing, right? What we want to do is, is make sure that there's more of a touch or, you know, Hey, I'm going to, you know, please wait. We've got an incredible customer experience awaiting for you. Please give us the opportunity to serve you properly. You know, something that just says something different than the standard stuff that everybody does, right? You want to make sure that we're always using positive language. And that way we're, we, we avoid accidental conflicts that, that can come from miscommunication, right? You know, back to connotation, the change is subtle, but the effects are drastic, right? So uh, say somebody's product is, is backordered for a month and, and the, the service agents need to, to tell the customer this. They can, you don't want them to go, well, you know, I can't get you that product until next month. It's backordered and unavailable at this time. That's not, that, that's not how you approach it. What you do is, is again, it's subtle, but it, it's, it's got a lot of impact. You say, you know what? That product's going to be available next month, and I can place the order for you right now. Make sure that it's sent to you as soon as it reaches our warehouse. I apologize for any delay, but I know you're going to love the product, right? It's, it's, it's a very, very simple change, but it changes the whole impact, right? It changes the, the opportunity. And finally, uh, one of the biggest things I think that we need to, to train customer service agents is, is how to close a conversation. Like, have you ever had that awkward where they just keep talking, you're done, you're just like, dude, oh, yep, nope, okay, yep, oh, oh, let's go, right? It just, right? So the ability to close improves every single interaction. And again, that's doing the bookending that we talked about in the first segment. Um, it's not closing a sale, it, it's closing a conversation. So, you know, if there's an issue that's unresolved, that creates unnecessary problems. But here's the crazy thing is data suggests, it, it, coming back to even the survey uh, that I was talking about, data suggests as little as, as approximately 4% of people who are upset will ever speak up. And not everyone is going to communicate what's bothering them often because you as an organization haven't shown them that you care. Right, so people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So your willingness to to correctly close a conversation shows the customer several things, right? That you that you care about getting it right, that that you're willing to keep going until you get it right, and that the customer is the one who really determines what right is, right? Is you know, is there is there anything else I can do for you today? I'm really you know I'm happy to help. I want you to be completely satisfied with our service, right? Always look for little opportunities. Um, to make sure that you can get them to say, yes, I'm satisfied. Yes, I'm good. We don't need a survey to, to tell us that. Um, we just want to make sure that, um, that we're closing the conversation uh, the way we should. And, and there's also you know, a proper way to, to thank people, right? And, and you know, some of the things that people say now, you know, write them a letter, do something personal, whatever. But 
there's just the, there's a way in which you can close uh, a conversation. It just says we we really. I see that you've been in business with us for for seven years, and I I really appreciate that loyalty. Right. Thank you so much for allowing us to serve you. There's there's a way to thank people that doesn't necessarily go into, you know, the old style. So as a recap, right, we want to we want to take control of the first impressions. We want to make sure that our people have the power to do the right tools. We want to, to use positive language and reaction. Um, we want to understand that that a personalized experience goes beyond first names or repeating somebody's first name over and over. That that we're really giving tools and information to the agents that they can that they can really solve the issue. Um, we want to make sure that uh, you know we gauge the the last impression, um, and that we ditch the production line type of customer service, right? And make sure that you you work on empathy, right? Um, don't be frugal with with thank yous. Um, and look, separate social media from, from your call center. If, if you have chat bots, have a, a team dedicated to chat bots and have a team dedicated to taking phone calls, but don't try to intermix the two. Um, and make sure that uh, you're obviously always continuing to improve your customer service skills. You know, one of the, the most impactful ways that, that I've seen this, this type of training work is to do the roundtable. So I did a... Um, I did a, a show a few weeks ago um, talking about global priority solutions, but we've noticed a huge difference that if you're actively talking about the values of the organization, but that you have a set time each week where you discuss a value and how you can practice it better and how you can raise your, your awareness of that value, you'll see that permeate through the organization. And, and something like that only takes like a half an hour, Right. Versus, you know, all this different training and all these other things, you know, have them be accountable and talk to each other and discuss the values that we really want to have um, in, uh, in our customer service. And again, it's not customer service, it's serving the customer. That's it for this week's edition of the Work-Life Balance. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Always let me know. You can find me uh, at Rick A. Morris. I already told you about the power of Twitter. Uh, so I'd love to hear from you guys, but it's at Rick A. Morris. You can find me uh, on LinkedIn at Rick A. Morris. It's rick at rickamorris.com or rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. I've appreciated the the opportunity to hang out with you guys today on this Friday afternoon. We hope that uh, you are always focused on your personal work-life balance. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.